The second coming of Jesus Christ, or what we call the day of the Lord, is motivation for godly living. In fact, Peter says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What motivates you to live a godly life, of course, is your relationship with the Lord, but it's also the return of the Lord. We'll talk more about that today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. This will be the end of the age, which will signal a new beginning. So don't, don't be too worried. You're, gonna, you're on the winning team. God is your shield. You're not going to be here for that intense judgment because we're not appointed to what? To wrath. So we're going to be rescued by the Lord before the wrath comes. Sodom and Gomorrah is a perfect example. Lot was rescued before fire and brimstone rained. He was taken out. We cannot judge this place until you're gone. Same thing at the end of the age. So, so don't get uh, nervous or fearful about that. But here's the question. Since all the things that so much is invested in, and I'll mention, for example, there's people concerned about climate change. There's people concerned about certain animals and stuff. And look, I believe we should be good stewards of the planet. But I believe that a lot of what's discussed these days and the money spent on it, in many ways, is a waste of time. That's my personal opinion. So much stock is put in that instead of in the heart. You know, we would have real change in this world if people actually followed the Lord. Don't you agree? That's where the change is actually going to come. So let me ask you, since all these things are going to be destroyed in this way and the day of the Lord will come. We, we all said amen. What God says is going to happen. And then the next verse says, well, since it's going to happen, how should you respond to it? Great question. Isn't it inconvenient when application comes our way? We're just studying eschatology, man. You mean we got to deal with application too? Yep. Since the Lord is going to do this, how should you be living your life? How then shall we live? What sort of person, make it personal, ought you to be? Well, it says you should be holy, end of 11. Greek word hagias. The essence of holiness means to be set apart. To be set apart for God in this world. That's what holiness is. Holiness is living out the life of God in the face of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. If you're a Christian, you've been set apart for God. That's what holiness is. Be holy, First Peter says, I think it's verse 16 or 17, chapter one, for I am holy. Reflect the character of your creator. That's holiness. Holiness is reflecting the character of your creator. God calls you to holiness. Now, holiness is not the clothing you wear. It's not 
the places you go per se. Holiness has to do with conduct, life. Whose life is filling you up? Whose priorities do you live out? Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, shouldn't you live a holy life? That's what Peter's asking. The second word there is conduct, anastrophe. It just means behavior. I think we all get that. And the last word is godliness. It's Eusebia. The word godliness speaks of a God-dominated life. Godliness and holiness are very similar. It means to reflect the character of your creator. It means to be like him. Do you know that God is doing a work to make you holy? You've all heard the, the idea of the uh, silversmith who keeps scraping away the dross on a vessel until he sees what? His own reflection in it. That's what God's doing in your life. That's why it hurts so much sometimes to look in the mirror, to realize, man, I fall short of being what God wants me to be. And so 1 John 3, 1 through 3 says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not appeared yet as what we shall be. We know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. 1 John 1 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as God is pure. That's a pretty radical mandate. Do you want to be different? Do you know how many young people are trying to be different today? I'll put a blue streak in my hair. I'll, I'll do something. Hey, if you want to do that, that's cool. But look, if you want to be different, how about daring to be like a Daniel? How about living a holy life and not doing everything that every other person is doing in the world? That's often what holiness is. It means to be set apart unto God. Now, what are we to be doing? We are to be looking, verse 12. We are to be looking for and hastening. We'll come back to that. The coming of the day of God. The day of God is just another way to say the day of the Lord because God is the Lord on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Now, we're to be holy because we are looking for something. We are looking or living in the light of the day of the Lord. And because of that, we look for it. We are looking for the blessed hope, Titus 2.13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because when he appears, we, will, we are told, look up for your redemption draweth near or nigh. When he comes, if you're a believer here and you experience this, what are you going to be saying? Yeah, baby. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. Right? Unbeliever? Uh-oh. You're going to be saying, oh, yeah, they're going to be saying, uh-oh. It's just that simple. What does it mean, hastening the coming of the day of God? Well, an honest rendering of the Greek word, it does speak of speed. It also could mean to await something eagerly or desire it earnestly. Can we speed up the second coming of Christ? 
This would be a debated subject based upon your view of the end times. The Bible does say God has fixed a day when he will judge the world. So do we have any say in that day? I personally say no. But there are some who say the more we do evangelism, if that last person can just get saved, then God will wrap up the times. But I'm not sure that God is bound to our evangelism efforts. If he were, I think things would be flipped around and we'd be in control and God wouldn't. I think God has fixed a day because he can't learn anything. So he's omniscient, he already knows. So whatever your view is, here's the thing. In some way, our lives have end times significance. You and I should be living for what will truly last. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19, Paul says, Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? People will be our crown on that day. We are living in the light of his return. And there will be mockers who mock this idea. And the Bible just told us in the same chapter, in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking. But I could care less because I want to add as many people to my crown as possible so I can lay it at his feet. Would you agree? So how are you adding to your crown? Do you believe in the second coming? Do you believe that Jesus is coming again? It should have an impact in your life. See, it's according to his promise. It's not according to some preacher, but according to his promise, says Peter, verse 13, that we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now remember, the purging precedes the renewal. You're going to have to have a purging. How do you think you're going to get new heavens and new earth if the first heavens and earth don't go away? We all want new heavens and a new earth, but they're not going to be side-by-side -side neighborhoods. The old heavens and old earth are not going to remain for those guys over there. The first heavens and first earth must pass off the stage to get new heavens and new earth. Amen? Amen. So here's the thing. There are some scholars that believe that the new heavens and new earth come at the end of the millennium, the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. But I would just say, logically, I wonder how that will work because how are you going to have new heavens and new earth at the end of the thousand years? Aren't you going to need new heavens and new earth at the beginning of the thousand years? Because the old heavens and earth are going to be what? Burned up. And it seems like from the language that they're going to be burned in their totality. Can you imagine the millennial reign of Christ where the lion and wolf lie down together and there's all this beauty and, you know, all this wonderful life and then there's charred ash everywhere? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Now, I, I will tell you that good scholars go back and forth on this and I've seen some compelling verses that could go both ways. But let me just give you a quick summation from my notes. This is from Isaiah 65 and 66. I'm just going to encourage you to study it on your own. But let me read a summation. The chronology of Isaiah 65. 
Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we've put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. You know, all this wonderful life and then there's charred ash everywhere. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Now, I, I will tell you that good scholars go back and forth on this. And I've seen some compelling verses that could go both ways. But let me just give you a quick summation from my notes. This is from Isaiah 65 and 66. I'm just going to encourage you to study it on your own. But let me read a summation. The chronology of Isaiah 65 and 66 clearly teaches, I'm quoting somebody else, that the heavens and earth will be renovated before the millennium begins, not at its end. There is no justification for changing the chronology of those two chapters. Isaiah wrote, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Isaiah 65, 17. Compare 2 Peter 3, 13, where the same expression, new heavens and new earth, is used. Following the creation of the new heavens and new earth, a partial listing of millennial blessings is given. Jerusalem will be restored. Isaiah 65, 18 and 19. Life expectancy will be expanded. Isaiah 65, 20. Men will build houses and inhabit them. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. Isaiah 65, 25. The new heavens and the new earth of which Isaiah speaks uh, are renovated or if you want to say recreated, it would seem before the millennium begins. This is not something to uh, worry too much about. God knows what he's going to do. But it would seem to make sense based upon what we've been reading, that we're to look, if you watch the, the order of verses 12 and 13, we're to look for the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed. So we're to look for that, that second coming where judgment comes. And then we're to look, verse 13, for what? New heavens and a new earth. So it would seem that from 12 to 13, they're back-to-back -back things that we're to look for. New heavens and new earth following the day of God. And so this place, this new order of things is a place where righteousness will dwell. Today, we don't have a whole lot of righteousness. Today, we hear more and more about corruption in places that we would hope there would be trust. Today, we get disappointed left and right by people that we respected or institutions that we may be honored that have gone 
sideways. And it's sad. And sometimes we look for righteousness and we say, where is it? Isaiah 45, 22 through 25 says, Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness. Will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me only in the Lord our righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. All who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, Israel will be justified and will glory. Flip over to Revelation 21. Just a little bit to your right, Revelation 21. The new heavens and new earth are mentioned here. And here's what it says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. 21.2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, much of that having to do with pain and unrighteousness. Their eyes shall no longer, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things, or if you like, the first order of things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making what? All things new. He said, I'm going to destroy all things, and I'm going to make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. This is what God is going to do. And so Peter, back to 2 Peter 3, last verse for tonight, sums it up with the word therefore. This is 2 Peter 3, 14. He says, therefore, beloved, 2 Peter 3, 14. Since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, do you, do I? Be diligent to be found by him, if I could add, in that day. How do you want to be found in that day? In peace, having peace with God, spotless and blameless. I think we're spotless and blameless because of grace, of course, but we also want to be spotless and blameless in our conduct. Jesus asked a question in Luke 18, 7 and 8. Here's what he said. Just to get to the point, it's verse 8, Luke 18. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus asked that question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find believers? Will he find people of which Peter spoke to be at peace, spotless and blameless? A pastor had been on a long flight between church conferences. The first warning of the approaching problems came when the sign on the airplane flashed on, fasten your seatbelt. The last leg of our journey, 14 hours on an airplane, that sign went on. Quite often. And uh, that means you can't move around. You can't stretch your legs. You just got to ride out the turbulence. After a while, a calm voice said, we shall not be serving the beverages at this time as we are expecting a little turbulence. Please be sure your seatbelt is fastened. 
As the pastor, pastor looked around the aircraft, it became obvious that many of the passengers were becoming apprehensive. This is where uh, people's prayer lives improve on an airplane, right? And people ask deep theological questions like, if it's the pilot's time to go, does it mean that everybody else on the plane's time to go? Is time to go? Answer that for me, preacher. I don't know. Just hope it's not the pilot's time to go when you're on the plane. Later, the voice on the intercom said, we are so sorry that we are unable to serve the meal at this time. The turbulence is still ahead of us. And then the storm broke. The ominous cracks of thunder came, could be heard above the roar of the engines. Lightning lit up the darkening skies. And within moments, the great plane was like a cork tossed around a celestial ocean. One moment, the airplane was lifted on terrific currents of air. The next, it dropped as if it were about to crash. The pastor confessed that he shared the discomfort and fear of those around him. He said, as I looked around the plane, I could see that nearly all the passengers were upset and alarmed. Some were praying. The future seemed ominous. Many were wondering if they would make it through the storm. And then suddenly I saw a little girl. Apparently the storm meant nothing to her. She had tucked her feet beneath her as she sat on her seat. She was reading a book and everything within her small world was calm and orderly. Sometimes she closed her eyes, then she would read again, then she would straighten her legs, but worry and fear were not part of her world. When the plane was being buffeted by the terrible storm, when it lurched this way and that, as it rose and fell with frightening severity, when all the adults were scared to half to death, the marvelous child was completely composed and unafraid. The minister could hardly believe his eyes. It was not surprising, therefore, that when the plane finally reached its destination, all the passengers were hurrying to disembark. The pastor lingered to speak to the girl whom he had watched for such a long time. Having commented, uh, commented about the storm and the behavior of the plane, he asked why she had not been afraid. The child replied, because my daddy is the pilot and he's taking me home. There are many kinds of storms that buffet us, physical, mental, financial, domestic. Many other storms can easily and quickly darken our skies, throw our plane into apparently uncontrollable movement and turbulence. We have all known such times. Let us be honest and confess that it's much easier to be at rest when our feet are on the ground than when we're being tossed around in the middle of the sky, thousands of feet above land. But let us remember that our daddy, our father, is the pilot. And we have nothing to fear. He will get us all the way home. And the day of the Lord will come. And it will come like a thief, but not for you if you know Christ. And I don't know if we'll be that generation. There's a lot of generations that thought they would be and they weren't. There's only going to be one generation that sees this time. But here's what I know. I'm going to be with my Lord. He is my shield, my refuge, my God, and my strength. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is a light to our path, brings us hope and encouragement, and it is sobering. Certainly this small little section we tackled tonight is, is not uh, the most comforting for especially for those who don't know Christ. But for those of us who do know you, Lord, we're going to have some turbulence, but we're going to make it all the way home. And in that place, 
when there are new heavens and new earth, when the world that you intended is restored back to its original state without sin, without death, without sorrow, without pain, without tears, when we are together again in your presence, looking on your face, rejoicing in the things that you have made, well, that is going to be a time when all of this is going to be nothing. Our light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that's coming. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are unseen are eternal. Lord, for those who are crying out in the name of Jesus, I pray you'd touch them. Pray that you would meet physical needs in this building tonight. Extend your hand of healing to those who need healing. Extend your hand of provision to those who need provision. For those who are a little unstable tonight, for whatever reason, maybe they're just going through some tough times, may you steady them in the storm. And may you just wash over your people tonight. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.